Let's uh, return together to the fifth book of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. We're uh, continuing in our series on the Ten Commandments. We've come to the penultimate commandment, the ninth commandment, Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 20. Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 20. Let's hear together the word of the Lord. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. There's uh, an old Jewish folk tale, I wonder if you've heard it, about a man who talked too much. Uh, He loved to share gossip, couldn't help himself. Whenever he heard a juicy story, he he loved the attention that it gave him and he would often embellish details just to make the story a little bit more dramatic. And on one particular day, he he heard an especially juicy story and he began to spread it far and wide, telling everyone in the community until eventually the rumor made its way to the man it was about. And he was devastated. The man was an innkeeper. And he went to his rabbi and said, what, what am I going to do? No one wants to do business with me anymore. My reputation, one of the most valuable things I have, has been destroyed. Not too long later, the man who spread the rumor came to the same rabbi, and the rabbi told him what had happened. And when the man heard, he was, he was genuinely devastated. He felt bad. He was sorry. And he, he said to the rabbi, what, what can I do? How can I make this right? And the rabbi asked him, do you have a feather pillow? <laughs> That's a strange question, right? He said, yeah, I have a feather pillow. And the rabbi said, okay, I want you to go home. I want you to take that feather pillow onto the roof of your house and I want you to stick it with a knife, cut it open, and release the feathers into the wind. And not really understanding the point, but wanting to make things right. I said, okay. And so he went home and did as he was told, took a pillow to the roof of his house, cut it open, opened it up, and watched the feathers blow away and returned to the rabbi and said, okay, I've done as you've said. Now, what do I need to do to make things right? The rabbi asked him, did you do as I say? Yes. Did the feathers blow away? Yes. It's a windy day. They blew all over the place. And so the rabbi said, good. Now go and get them. Every single one and bring it back to me. And the man said, that's impossible. And the rabbi said, yeah. That's exactly the point. Uh, Like the man in the story, we often fail to appreciate the power of our words and the damage they can inflict on other people until the damage is already done. And there's often very little we can do to repair the damage. To bear false witness can be so very destructive. So very harmful. So harmful, in fact, that in the world of Scripture, it's compared to physical violence. 
And so Proverbs 25 verse 19 says, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. The tongue is a weapon of war. Now this commandment, it has, it has original context. It, the, the courtroom is the original setting where truthful witness bearing is absolutely essential. Now today in legal settings you have supporting evidence of all kinds, but in the ancient world verbal witness bearing was absolutely essential in rendering justice. That is truthful witness bearing in a legal setting was absolutely essential. The integrity of the justice system depends on truthful testimony. Without truthful witnesses, it all unravels. It all comes undone. But we need to appreciate that the implications of this commandment are not limited to a legal setting. In fact, as we've seen with all of the commandments, the reach is far more broad than we might at first realize. The full domain of this commandment extends to every word we speak. Jesus explains in Matthew 12, 36, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Let that sink in for a minute. According to Jesus, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word. Every careless tweet, every careless text, every careless post. In other words, there's a very real sense that every word we speak will be subpoenaed. It will be brought before the Supreme Court over which there is a single presiding judge. And so in the final analysis, you can say we are all sworn in all the time. Every word we speak, public or private, is under oath. And so let your yes be yes and your no be no, Jesus says. And so with the the gravity of the ninth commandment in mind, I want to consider in two parts, the two aspects of the commandment, what the ninth commandment forbids and what the ninth commandment requires. But let me ask you this. If, if you were to put together a list of things that you hate, what would make your list? I mean, what are the things that make your blood boil? Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, even seven that are an abomination to him. And this list not only includes a lying tongue and a false witness who breathes out lies, but it ends even more specifically with one who sows discord among brothers. And that makes perfect sense when you think about what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to make us one. The atonement was to make us one. One, God's gospel intends to create unity among seemingly incompatible people, people who 
frankly, have no earthly reason loving each other. And God hates it when we use our words to sow discord. And yet it happens all the time. This is what the ninth commandment forbids. The kind of speech that damages the good name of our neighbor and destroys relationships by tearing people apart, sowing discord and division in the covenant community of God's people. There's an even deeper way we violate the ninth commandment. And and that is by lying to ourselves, by, by deceiving ourselves. We have exchange the truth of God for a lie. As Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, we've exchanged the truth for a lie. And by doing, doing so, we have engaged in false worship and fooled ourselves in thinking that created things are really better than the creator himself. We have, we have opted for Gifts rather than the giver himself. And when we think about it, it's patently absurd, but it's precisely what we do. We prefer a piece of fruit to fellowship with God. We've all drunk this Kool-Aid, and we need to understand that this is the, this is the reality that constitutes the crisis that underlies all of our dysfunctional communication. And the signs of this reality are all around us today. Fake news. Listen to the political ads that are uh, out there right now. Gossip tabloids. Or let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Conversations with our family and friends where we flatter people we like and curse our enemies. And truth be told, you might resist this at first, but I think on reflection, you'll come to agree with me. And truth be told, sometimes we want to be lied to. We want to live a lie. We want to lie to ourselves. We want to lie to other people. We don't want to face the truth. We don't want to gaze at the reality of what's inside of us. Deceiving others, deceiving ourselves comes all too easily, and we do it all of the time. Twisting words, deceiving others, shading the truth, exaggerating things to build ourselves up, slandering others to tear them down, joining in the mob hastily to condemn others without actually considering the matter. And no one had to teach us how to do this, did they? We didn't go to school to learn how to lie. We didn't go to a training seminar on how to tell half-truths, how to shade the truth, or how to deceive others so that we could, you know, get out of what we don't want or get what we want. We know how to shade things so we look good And people that we don't like look bad. And that's because our problem with truth has a very, very long history. In fact, bearing false witness goes back to the beginning of things. Remember, remember Satan. By the way, have you ever noticed that 
the names given to Satan in Scripture, again and again, they, they're verbal titles. They describe his, his slithering tongue. He's a liar, father of lies. He's a deceiver. He's a, the accuser of the brothers. And that's actually what devil means. It means accuser. And with his slithering tongue, he worked destruction by the lie that he told our first parents in the garden. Bearing false witness was part of the occasion for the fall of humanity into sin and misery. Remember how, how it happened. First, the, the devil questioned the truthfulness of God. Did God really say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And then it's just outright lied. You shall not surely die. You will become like God. And our first parents fell for the lie, hook, line, and sinker. And when God found them hiding in shame, having broken his law, what was Adam's first instinct now? You remember what he said? Oh, the woman whom you gave me, she, 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 she gave me the fruit to eat. What was he saying? This isn't my fault. It's her fault, or it's your fault. I'm not responsible for this. And so straight away we see sins of speech. But do you see what's actually going on? Now, man who was made in the image and likeness of God has come to reflect the image and likeness of the serpent. The one who in John 8, 44 is called a liar and the father of lies. Shading the truth and speaking untruth is a moral reflection of Satan himself who tempted man with a lie. And so in Romans chapter 3, verse 14, when Paul describes human sinfulness and the pervasive effects of sin in our hearts and lives, he says, of all people, the venom of asps is under our lips. See what he's saying? The, the deadly venom of the serpent comes from our mouths too. That's why Deuteronomy 19 uh, verse 15, we have safeguards in legal settings saying that an accused can only be condemned guilty on the basis of more than one witness because this side of Eden, we are not reliable truth tellers anymore. We, we struggle to be people of the truth. We, we, we play fast and loose with the truth, lying to get what we want and to get out of what we don't want. But it's not just that we find the truth occasionally inconvenient and slip into deception from time to time. No, our inability to be people of truth runs deep. Okay, Jesus gives this diagnosis in Matthew 12, verse 34. He says, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's saying in order to speak good, you, you first have to be changed. Or Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. See, those, 
those self-justifying words, those self-excusing evasions, those moments of gossip when you tear a brother or sister down, the exaggerations of flattery that have the appearance of kindness, but, but are really aimed at attempting to win approval from others or to evade scrutiny, they are all breaches of the ninth commandment. They are truly and properly sins. Not merely sins of speech, but sins of our crooked hearts. Our problem, you see, is not superficial. It goes deep down to the core. Our sins of speech, Jesus is teaching us, express an inner corruption at the deepest level. And and like Satan who separated close friends in the garden by bearing false witness and lying, we can ruin lives and relationships with our words. You you remember the the three striking images that uh, James uses to describe uh, our tongues. I want to think about those for a few minutes. As he describes the damage caused by our breaches of the ninth commandment and what they do. He says the tongue is a forest fire, a wild animal, and a deadly poison. First, a, a, a forest fire. James 3 verse 5 says the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That, that little bit of gossip that you thought nothing about, you, know, you just blurted it out casually in passing conversation. It is like a still-lit cigarette bud that is flicked out a window on a dry autumn evening. It lands under leaves, and then all it takes is a a gentle breeze sweeping across the road to fan those embers into a flame and to drive the leaves into the forest. And before you know it, acres and acres of land are set ablaze. That's what our words are like. One careless word, one spiteful comment, one juicy piece of gossip can bring so much devastating destruction because the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, setting on fire the whole course of life. And if the flames are not doused, will itself be set on fire by hell? The tongue is a forest fire. Secondly, James says the the tongue is a wild animal. He says every kind of beast and bird and reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Probably all familiar with the stories. I came across one uh, last week about a lion tamer um, who traveled around uh, with a circus group and uh, been doing it for years and on one particular evening the show was going as it always did 
The lions were going where they were supposed to do, where they were supposed to go before a watching crowd until all of a sudden one lion decided he had had enough. And before a horrified crowd, the lion leapt from his place and sunk his teeth into the shoulder of the lion tamer. It turns out you can't really tame a wild animal. (laughs) And it turns out we can't really tame our tongue. You only think you can. Maybe Maybe you think yourself to be a calm, measured, cool, and collected individual. Until just the right circumstances occur and all of a sudden there is a torrent of destructive speech spewing out of your mouth. Past that tidbit of gossip you heard the other day. You spread the rumor or leap to conclusions passing judgment on another. It is all part of bearing false witness. The lion has sprung from our unruly hearts. Forest fire an untamed animal. And then finally, James says, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our family got hit by the flu last week. And so there were a couple days where we spent a lot of time on the couch. And uh, one afternoon uh, with the kids, we were just watching random videos on YouTube about different animals. And we watched a, a, a... a video on the inland taipan, or what's also known as the fierce snake. Lives in Australia. It is considered to be the most venomous snake in the world. Uh, A number of years ago, research was done to gauge the toxicity of um, different venomous snakes across the world, and it was determined that one bite from the fierce snake with a normal injection of venom There's enough venom in one bite to kill 250,000 mice. It's deadly. It's deadly. The venom of asps under our lips, the tongue full of deadly poison. That is the imagery that the Bible uses to talk about sins of speech. And so we shouldn't take it lightly. It's deadly. With our tongues, we strike and destroy. Some of us attack covertly like copperheads with camouflage in the leaves. Others of us attack defensively. Others of us go on the offense and attack others. But the problem isn't superficial. See, bearing false witness is not a minor peccadillo. It is a fire festering in our hearts. It is a deadly poison. So what are we going to do? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. What are we going to do? And the answer is we've got to run to Jesus Christ. This is what the law does again and again. It is a handmaid to Christ. It drives us to the Lord Jesus. He is, Revelation 1.5, the faithful and true witness. John 14 verse 6, he is the truth. And yet in Mark chapter 14 at his trial, false witnesses are ushered in to give testimony against him. 
And he never once replied in his own defense until he's asked directly, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And when he confirmed it, the high priest said, what further witnesses do we need to hear? And Christ was condemned as a blasphemer, someone whose witness and testimony was rejected in the eyes of men as utterly false. The faithful and true witness, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, was condemned by false men as a blasphemer, as a false witness, as a breaker of the ninth commandment. Now, in reality, in truth, the witnesses called against him were bearing false witness. The high priest bore false witness. Even his own disciple, Peter, sitting out in the courtyard when he was asked about whether he was a disciple of Jesus, under oath, Peter bore false witness. The only one who was the, true, who was the truth spoke the truth. He's the only one who did not bear false witness. He's the one who's condemned as a false witness. So here he is, the truth, bearing the wrath and the curse of my falsehood. Here he is, the one who is always faithful and true, paying the price for our insincerity. He took our place. This stings to hear, but we are all a bunch of liars for whom the Son of God was falsely accused, convicted, crucified, and died. We are all a bunch of liars for whom the Son of God was slandered and and put to death. But this humbling truth actually contains the good news that Jesus says will set you free. So what do we do with the forest fire? What do we do with the wild animal and the deadly poison? We must turn to the only one who is true. Who can can douse the flames. Who can tame the animal and bring it under restraint. Who has the antidote for the poison. And who can give us a whole heart And a new beginning. We have to go to Jesus. Owning the truth about ourselves. And embracing the truth that he is God's answer. To our false, fickle, deceiving and self-deceiving hearts. And coming to Jesus then. That leads us to the second part of this commandment. What the the commandment positively Requires, And I say coming to Jesus leads us to this because it's only in coming to Jesus that we can positively keep the ninth commandment. As God changes us to look less and less like the serpent, he is conforming us to the image of the one who is the truth. So the ninth commandment not only prohibits bearing false witness, it also requires us to speak the truth in love. I think that that is perhaps the best biblical summary of the positive requirement of the ninth commandment, to speak the truth in love. God requires truth in the inmost being, and he wants us to speak out of that truth in love. 
Now, this combination of truth and love is absolutely essential. I mean, have you, have you ever met somebody, we have, who, who's all about the truth, but not in love? Or have you met somebody who's all about love, but who's content to play willy-nilly with the truth? You know, a love for the truth without love for neighbor is cold and callous and unfeeling. And love without truth is cheap and sentimental. But when these two qualities are combined in our communication, the results really are amazing. The Bible says it builds up the church. When we speak the truth in love, the church grows. When these qualities come together, according to Ephesians 4, it is by speaking the truth in love that we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. See, friends, the church is a creature of the word. Just as God created all things by the word of his power, and just as God sustains all things by the word of his power, So God creates the church by his word, and as his people speak the truth of his word to each other in love, the church is established and grows in love in Christ Jesus. This full-orbed reality is what John says he saw when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this is, John is telling us, this is what true testimony looks like. It is full of grace and truth. And it comes in the flesh. It is always embodied in tangible ways that go beyond words. And John says this in 1 John 3, (coughs) little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Okay, but how can we ever begin to act and speak in in this kind of way? We, We cannot have what we first haven't received, right? We can't say what we first haven't heard. We can't share good news that we first haven't received. So don't forget the repeated refrain, In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says it again and again. It's the way he introduced the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel. Listen. That's how we learn to speak the truth in love. We must first learn to listen. The first step in speaking the truth in love is learning to listen to the truth. We've got we to be filled with the truth to speak the truth. We need to be shaped by the truth to speak it in love. To speak the truth in love, we need to be conformed to the image of the one who is himself the truth and love enfleshed. See, we need to be changed by the truth before we can speak the truth. And that's what happens as we listen to God's word. We're sanctified by his word, for his word is truth. 
And so brothers and sisters, we, we need to receive the truth from God and then utter and live it. We need to speak the truth and embody the truth. And we can because we have been united to Jesus who is grace and truth enfleshed. Jeremiah says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. He's saying God's word is, is food. That takes us straight back to the book of Deuteronomy, doesn't it? That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The book of Ezekiel says, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. You see how it works? Eat this book and then you will have something to go and say. Have you eaten the words of truth and life? Eat it and then speak the truth in love. So what is required? What is required in the ninth commandment? In a nutshell, listen to Jesus who is the truth and you will learn to speak the truth in love. The truth, capital T, was slandered and died to save a bunch of liars. And he has given us his spirit, the spirit of truth, to be his witnesses in the world. Isn't that an amazing thing when you, when you pause and think about Jesus saying, I'm going to send you for, I'm going to power you by my spirit and I'm going to send you forth from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, into the ends of the world as my witnesses. In a world of lies and deception and half-truths, Jesus saves a people who learn to speak the truth in love. A people who bear the image of the one who is faithful and true may it be by God's grace that we are more and more such a people brothers and sisters let's pray together father in heaven we thank you for the truth of your word and lord Jesus we thank you that you are the truth enfleshed and holy spirit we thank you that you come to write the truth upon our hearts Thank you for the truth of your law. And we recognize that before it we are sinners, that we have fallen short, that we have uh, filthy lips that reflect crooked hearts. And we thank you that you are able to touch our lips and our hearts and cleanse us and renew us through Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would do that now. And conform us to the image of him who is faithful and true. And send us forth today to be a people who speak the truth in love to one another. And who bear faithful witness to him who is the truth uh, in this world. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.